Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From St. James' epistle, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, my soggy friends. <laughs> we're kicking off a new sermon series this week. Uh, if you were here over the summer, you know that we um, spent the summer looking at David, King David, uh, train wreck King David. Um, if you're interested, you can go back and we wa- re-watch the series on our website, podcast, Facebook, all that stuff. But the idea was that we got to read this scripture all the way through and people really dug it. And uh, they said, hey, can we do that again? And sure. So what I'm going to do now is the lectionary shifts in the epistle to the epistle of James, which we're going to spend the next five weeks going through. And James gets a bad rap. If you know anything about theology uh, or the Reformation in particular, you know that James gets uh, all sorts of opprobrium thrown his way. But here's the question we're going to look at in the next, over the next five weeks. And it's simple and it's profound, and it's this. You ready? How do you know if you are good enough? How do you know if you are good enough? You know, we live in a uh, success-obsessed culture. I had to practice that all week. Success-obsessed culture. We focus on success in everything. I mean, Think about it. We read books about our marriages and our kids and our families, and our health, our financial status. Um, just, just two days ago, I was talking with one of my own children about managing credit cards successfully, managing finances. And in fact, many of you uh, in the past two weeks or so sent your own kiddos or your grandchildren or somebody that you know who has children back to school, right? And you want them to be what? Successful this year. We have high hopes for success because we, we are a success-obsessed culture. So how do you know, here's the question, how do you know if you have success in God's eyes? How do you know if you cut the mustard? How do you know if what you're doing is the right thing? You know, it's the most important, it is the most important, it is the most important question you will ever ask yourself and few people actually ever do. Because the answer to that question, how am I successful before God, is the only success question with eternal consequences. I mean, Jesus himself says this. It's kind of obvious. Jesus is master of the obvious illustration. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, So, for what does it profit a man, or woman, to gain the whole world, to be a success, and yet forfeit his soul? What good is it to be successful in all these things we strive for, and at the end of the day, when you're dead and I'm dead, you forfeit your soul in the process? So here's the point I want you to see today and over the next five weeks. How are you and I successful before God? And thankfully, Jimmy boy, 
the writer of James. I've got a brother named Jimmy, so I can say that. Uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to look at this question, which is profound and important. How do you know if you are a success in God's eyes? How do you know if you're good enough? And if so, how then do you act? Those are my two points for today, and that's going to follow the thread for the next five weeks. How do you know if you're good enough? Point one. And point two, if so, how then shall we act? How do I know if I'm a success in God's eyes? And if so, what do I do about it? So before we jump into that, let me just set the stage about James, because we're going to be talking about this dude for the next five weeks. James is the brother of Jesus. Jesus had brothers, and he is either, he's either one of two things. James is either the, uh, a, a, a son from one of Joseph's former wives, who's now dead. Jesus was, is either, or sorry, James is either a brother from another mother, that's one possibility, or it could be that James is a younger brother of Jesus between Joseph and Mary. We really don't know, and wars have been fought about this. It's really not all that important, quite frankly. What's important is this. What's important is this, actually, is that though even though James and Jesus were brothers and lived in the same household and played soccer together and pulled each other's pants and did all the things that brothers do with little brothers, you know, beat them up, James and Jesus had that relationship, and yet James never really believed him. In fact, we know Mark says in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, that when Jesus was out riding the circuit, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, talking about being the Son of God, he goes home, and his brothers and his family says, man, I think Jesus has lost his mind. They took offense at him. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. I've got a brother, Jimmy, and I take offense at him too sometimes. <laughs> but something changed, which brought James from the skeptical, who is this guy, what he's claiming is crazy, Jesus. Somebody, something happened to James which brought him along, and what happened to him was simple. Jesus came back from the dead. <laughs> Strange, right? In the first century, dead people stay dead. I don't know, like they do today. And when Jesus came back from the dead, Jesus' resurrection got James' attention, you might say. James met his brother Jesus, resurrected from the dead, and he was converted. It's not actually unlike any of you or any Christian, for that matter. We become a Christian because we meet the risen Christ. James becomes the bishop of Jerusalem. James, Jacob, is his, real, his name in Hebrew, becomes a martyr. He dies for the faith, and James writes this epistle before he is executed for his faith. And James answers the question, how am I made successful with God? And how do I act? So here's the first point. How are we made successful with God? Well, this might surprise you. Most of us believe that success is something that we do right? Is that fair? Most of us believe that we are successful if our performance exceeds a specific threshold, if Penn State spanks Appalachian last night in overtime. You guys awake today? You didn't watch the Penn State game, did you? But that's what we're trained to believe, that success is based upon performance. And in fact, everything in our lives, we have to earn our way. You, you study hard in school, you get A's. You uh, work hard, you get a raise. 
You call in sick too many times, you get canned. You get the idea. The point I want you to see here, it's obvious. If you want success in this world, you have got to do the right thing. Right? Is that fair? Um, and in fact, if you look at every other ethical system, every other religion, every other legal code, our own legal code, what your dad taught you when you were a little boy, work hard and you'll be rewarded. Make a mistake and you'll fail. Makes sense. Common sense. But is that actually what makes us right with God? I want you to think about this because this is going to rattle you a little bit. What is it that actually makes us right with God? Is it performance? Is it success? I'll never forget uh, when I was in seminary, my, um, my first year, I had a class in Old Testament. I took lots of Old Testament. I loved it. And my Old Testament professor was a guy named, La uh, I, won't, I won't give his name. He was a guy who liked to speak his mind and sometimes said things that he probably shouldn't have said, but kind of everybody believed what he was saying. And he got fired for it eventually. But, um, but I'll never forget my first day in class. He was a Christian. And his first day in lecture, he says, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and we're all these little eager seminarians, right? He says, salvation has always been by the law. Salvation has always been by the law. You could have heard all their little evangelical drops, jaws hit the floor. What? You mean to tell me that I have to earn it? You're a, he, he continued, salvation has always been by the law, your performance, your success. He said, the problem is that none of you can do it. Success, salvation has always been by the law. You are, you are in fact, made right by what you do, the great big problem is that we can't do it. <laughs> uh, you know, if you've got kids or been around kids or watch TV and seen kids on TV, you know, you, if you spend time with children, at some point when you tell them they made a mistake or they did something wrong, they'll turn it around and say, you know, Dad, everybody makes mistakes, right? We all know it. We all know it's true. We all know we don't cut the mustard. We're, and and here, here is the intractable problem of all human, ethical, moral, religious systems. Here is the intractable problem of performance-based goodness. Ready? To be in the presence of God, we must be, I must be, perfect. The problem is that none of us are, including me. Hard to believe, I know, but it's true. Salvation has always been by the law. Salvation has always been by doing the right thing. Success in God's eyes is by what you do. <laughs> the problem is that you can't do it. And what people usually do, all other religious ethical systems, every other religion that believes in the concept of evil says, solves that intractable dilemma with something like this. They grade on a scale. They solve the problem by grading on a scale. I'll give you an example. We do, and you do it too, and so do I. Everybody does it. 
And I'll give you an example. You know the story in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee, who was the guy who always did the right thing, who strived to keep all the moral laws. He was the rock star of the Old Testament. He's in the temple. He's praying. And he raises his hands to God. And he says what we all think. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men. I thank you, Lord, that I am not like that filthy animal. How many of us, if we're honest, and this is what we're about today with James is honesty. How many of, yourself, how many of you grade yourselves on a scale? The answer is y'all do it. Me too. How many of us grade ourselves on a scale? I might not be bad. I'm, I, may be, I may have some shortfalls, honey, but I'm not as bad as that guy who gets drunk at the tiki bar every night. I may be bad, honey, but at least my kids aren't smoking weed in the parking lot before school. I might be bad, but I don't cheat on my taxes. Did you catch, um, I didn't actually watch much of the Aretha Franklin funeral yesterday because I don't really care, but I did catch a snippet of it. Did you notice Al Sharpton gets up in the box? He's preaching a sermon, and what does he do? He uses that sermon, it's just shameful and embarrassing as a minister of the gospel, but he uses that opportunity to criticize the president, to bash Donald Trump. In a funeral, really? But what he was doing, what Sharpton was doing, I'm not as bad as that guy in my own estimation. Sharpton, like you and I, solves the problem by grading on a scale. The problem is, God doesn't do it that way. Christianity is different. The, Christi the Christian gospel is completely the opposite. Christianity is unique in all of human history because, as James will remind us throughout these five chapters, we are all fallen sinners. We all deserve hell, frankly, because none of us is perfect and God is. So what's the solution? It's an intractable problem. Paul writes about this at length. Well, God, God's smarter than we are, and he has a plan. And he actually, in this logically consistent, paradoxical solution, solves the problem of human brokenness and God's perfection by God himself becoming a man. And by becoming a human being, a sinless human being, and taking the sins of humanity upon himself and dying on the cross to pay our sins in our place— Jesus Christ comes to earth to keep the law in your place and in mine and to die to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours. Don't you see? Salvation has always been by the law, even now. The problem is we can't keep it, even now. But Jesus keeps it in your place and in mine. Thanks be to God. And we call this salvation by grace. The word grace is not a blonde-haired 12-year-old, when she is, my daughter Grace. The word grace is the word charis, and it means an unmerited, undeserved, unearned gift. That your salvation is not about your goodness at all, thanks be to God, but that Jesus, who literally saves you and I, who claim it by punching our ticket, by paying our debt, you want to know how you're successful before God? You want to know the answer? Trust in Jesus to save you. 
James says this in chapter 1, verse 18. In fulfillment of his purpose, he gave us birth by the word of God in truth. You know, in in John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes to Jesus because he understands the problem here. He's a smart guy. Nicodemus is a Jewish teacher. And And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you know, nobody can be saved unless they're born again. You ever, you ever take a kid to baptism? <laughs> you ever seen a child baptized? I've done it many, many times. And people say, oh, you, well, they've got to make a decision to follow Jesus. Well, no, hang on a minute. It's not about what I do that makes me saved. It's what Jesus does for me. So for me to take a child and baptize this gurgling little baby who has no idea what's going on, that's the whole point. Because what that point of infant baptism is this, it starts the process that salvation is a gift from God freely given, freely accepted, unearned, undeserved. But that is what Jesus has done for you and for me. The way you are made successful friends in God's eyes is by trusting in Jesus to save you and keeping the law in your place. And so then, this is the biggie, when you get your mind around that, The question then becomes, well, then now what do you do? How do you act? This is actually the crux of what the epistle of James is all about. And we're going to spend the next five weeks on this very thing. Paul talks about how we are saved by faith. James describes how we are to act once we're saved. And in fact, I would submit this to you. You are saved, and then your behavior begins to change. You begin to become more and more conformed to him. I would submit this to you, that your behavior, the words you speak, your patience, is a good diagnostic of the condition of your heart. In other words, your morals, your ethics, how you think, what you say. These things are not the cause. Listen, your behavior is not the cause of your salvation. You don't earn it. It is a consequence of your salvation because Jesus changes you. Anybody, (laughs) you know, Talk is cheap. We say that all the time. Talk is cheap. It is cheap. Anybody can be eating their, you know, Captain Crunch cereal, watching Joel Olstein and say the Jesus prayer at nine years old and say, I was saved. I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Faith in, Christ, faith in Christianity does not mean intellectual assent to a truth claim. It means a life which has been changed. And so here's my question for you. Is your faith changing you? <laughs> Does your trust in the gift that Jesus has given you make you kinder, make you more patient? Does it make you able to control your speech more easily? And if you blow it, and you will, does it make you willing to go to the person you offended and say, I'm sorry? James talks about taming our speech. That's a behavior. He says religion which is worthwhile is visiting orphans. That's a behavior. Remaining unstained from the world. That's a behavior. In other words, what James is saying is if you've been saved, if Jesus has made you worthy to stand before God and live, if he's punched your ticket, now act like it. Friends, our behavior is a consequence, not a cause, of our salvation. Our behavior is a consequence, not a cause of our salvation. So here's the thing, and I'm going to wrap up. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, man up, Jesus says, or person up. Act like it. He says it right there. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. 
So here's my question. Is Jesus changing you? Does your wife or your husband or your kids or your grandkids or the people that you're around, do they notice a difference in you? I hope so. You might not see it, but other people around you will. Do they, do they say, do they think it's weird that you go to church? I hope so. Do they, do they does it, are you, are you <laughs> going to say something you might have said before and then something just stops you? I'm going to wait. That's good. That means that that faith which you claim is becoming made manifest in your behavior. It means Jesus is changing you. James says, if you think your religion, James says in verse 26, if you think you are religious and you don't control the way you speak, you're lying to yourself and your faith is a waste of time. Friends, being saved is not a one and done. I was baptized and now I can do whatever I want. Nonsense. I said the Jesus prayer once when I was eight and now I'm in. Nonsense. Friends, faith, like love, is forgiveness is a verb. It is a process. We are saved by Jesus' death on the cross in our place. It is made real and we prove it by what we do as a result. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus has made you clean, if Jesus has died to make you a success before God, James says, and we're going to talk about this, for God's sake, for your sake, live like it. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who came to earth to die for our sins and to make us a success in your eyes. Help us to live as little temples of your Holy Spirit, to have our lives be transformed and changed by the power of your goodness and the grace that God, that you freely give to us to make our lives holy and good. Make us, Lord, a success in your eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.